are entering the Freedom Hut. When is a lie a lie? Well, if you go by what we're seeing from the Mueller special counsel and just the way that prosecutors' offices at top levels act in general in this country, it seems like when conservatives lie, it's a crime. When liberals lie, they're just, you know, doing their thing. We'll break down how this affects the whole Trump resistance and everything else around it coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We are in a freestyle Friday mode now, which means we're about to kick off the weekend. Those of you listening live, I know we're all excited. We're about to go have a couple days off, hopefully. Some of you probably work weekends, but hey, you know, at least at least we get to hang out on Friday. That's nice. And if you're listening on the uh, podcast later on, obviously you're probably already, I was going to say sitting by the pool, but not too many places in the country where you can do that right now. Um, maybe you're I don't know. Is there any snow anywhere, Producer Mike? I feel like there's not any snow anywhere really right now either. Well, there's always snow in some places. So let's get into it, shall we? It's been quite a week. Been a tough week for the administration. Um, A lot of people are doing an early victory dance that it's just a matter of time here, just a matter of of weeks perhaps before that, that final revelation comes out that's going to prove the Russia collusion conspiracy theorists were right all along. It's not going to happen, so don't don't worry about that. It's it's just not. But we have been shown definitively, in my view, that there is a very real bias in this country when it comes to how lying is treated. And I mean how it's treated at the upper reaches of the government. Um, we, we have an entire judicial system, right? We have a legal system that is premised upon finding the truth as a means of achieving justice. But justice is the ultimate ends. It's it's not just the process for its own sake. All the processes, the legal processes that we have in place are geared toward toward justice. That's That's why they call it the Justice Department, right? They don't call it the Process Department, although they probably should. But that's why when you have somebody, for example, who technically violates a law but did not have intent or it was an accident or all these things are taken into account. Uh, and and on the issue of lying, especially lying in testimony, yes, there has to be enforcement of this. Right? You, can't, uh, you can't say things under oath that are not true without consequence because then saying things under oath has no legal meaning, really. But there are gray areas here. There is discretion. And what we know from progressives, because they are, uh, they are ideological hardliners and, and believe that whatever they have to do to achieve power and for their side to win is inherently moral. I mean, I want our side to win, but I don't want our side to do anything and everything to get there. Uh, the left doesn't have the same compunction, really. They don't have the same problems with this. And we see this with, uh, with lying. And what has gone on this week? Um, you remember when James Comey, speaking about people who are full of it, James Comey uh, a while ago 
admitted that there was a fair amount of lying going on. Play, play clip four, John. Your second in, McCann, McCabe, in command, McCabe, was fired for lying multiple times within the FBI. You defended his character on Twitter. That's, that's okay. Lying is okay internally. No, it's definitely not. In fact, the McCabe case illustrates <laughs> what an organization that's committed to the truth looks like. We investigated whole... I ordered that investigation. Mm -hmm. We investigate and hold people accountable. Good people lie. I lay out in the book, I think I'm a good person, where I've lied. I still believe Andrew McCabe is a good person, but the inspector general found that he lied and there's severe consequences in the Justice Department for lying, as there should be throughout the government. Yeah, what, what are those severe consequences? Is McCabe going to prison? Because he lied under oath. He lied under sworn testimony, under penalty of perjury. Is he going to prison? Who wants to bet that former FBI Director McCabe is not going to prison? Anyone place bets on that one? Now, how do I know that? Do I? I mean, yeah, I've got some DOJ sources. We'll talk about that another time. But do I have any inside information on that? No, I do not. But I know that McCabe's not going to prison for this. I know he's not. Why? Because he's on team left wing. Doesn't mean that he's left-wing ideologically, but he's on team left-wing on this one. He's anti-Trump, so he's going to be fine. Just like I know that, for example, Brennan. Brennan's not going to prison for lying, but, hmm, hold on a second. What did Brennan say to Trey Gowdy under oath in Congress? Play clip three. Do you know if the Bureau ever relied on the Steele dossier as, any, as part of any court filings, applications, petitions, pleadings? I have no awareness. Did the CIA rely on it? No, it was not in any way used as a basis for the intelligence community assessment that was done. Huh. So the Steele dossier was the Steele dossier was part of the FISA, a big part, probably the biggest part of the FISA request. But the intelligence community didn't know about that. Hmm. Well, that 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 doesn't that doesn't strike me as as believable at all, does it? And then there's uh, Clapper and Comey uh, talking about, um, well, two different issues. One is spying on Americans, and two, whether Comey was ever an anonymous news source, both under oath. Play clip two. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Director Comey, have you ever been an anonymous source in news reports about matters relating to the Trump investigation or the Clinton investigation? Never. Have you ever authorized someone else at the FBI to be an anonymous source in news reports about the Trump investigation or the Clinton investigation? No. Okay, so those are both lies to Congress. Now, that's particularly worth pointing out this week because, as we know, Michael Cohen, polls, who's polls? Uh, he just pleaded guilty to lying to Congress, a felony, which may be added on top of his, uh, his already, I think, eight felony charges that he uh, pleaded guilty to over the summer. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're lining Cohen up to send him away, you know, like he's a mafia don here. I mean, he, he's, he's going away for years. And you have to wonder, okay, well, fine, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Congress, you shouldn't lie to Congress. You can't lie to Congress under oath. But if Congress asked me, you know, when was the last time that you spoke to 
you know, you, you spoke to your uncle, and I said it was, uh, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, you know, Congressman so-and-so. And it turns out it was, well, technically two weeks and three days, which is really three weeks ago. Should I go to prison for that? I mean, is that, is that a lie that matters? I think most fair-minded people would say no. Right? It's, it has to be a, mater- a lie about a material fact, an issue of importance, and it has to be done willingly and knowingly. But that hasn't been the standard that's applied to some of the people caught up in the Mueller probe. They all get sent away for minor things related to non-crimes. They all get sent away for how they, or rather they, they have to plead guilty. Some of them haven't. Although I think Papadopoulos is in prison as we speak. That's not fun. Uh, but they, they end up getting, and remember, it's not even just the prison sentence. It's the decision to charge or not. One of my biggest objections to the obvious double standard in our justice system was that, it was that it's not that Hillary Clinton didn't, you know, with the whole lock her up thing and all that, lock her up, you know. Uh, it's, it's not that she didn't go away for decades, because I don't think she was going to get time. You know, in, in a fair system where she wasn't Hillary Clinton, based on what other people have gotten, she wasn't going away for long. She might have gone away for a little while. But, you know, it wouldn't have been a long sentence. Uh, but the fact that she didn't even have to face charges I mean, that's a huge part of the punishment in itself. The, the, the decision to prosecute is the decision to destroy, or at least the decision to harm. And so a non-prosecution decision is, a, is an enormous stroke of good fortune for somebody. And yet you'll see a Clapper, Comey, Brandon. You go to this list. These guys are lying about things all over the place. Under oath to Congress. They're, they're not going to get charged. McCabe lied multiple times under oath during the inspector general investigation of the FBI. He's not, he's not going to prison. It's not going to happen. Maybe he'll get some sweetheart you know, plea deal where he did, but he's not going to spend it. What I mean, he's not, he's not going to even get the Papadopoulos deal. You know, a week or two in prison, nothing. He's not going to go to prison. Why is this? The left likes to lecture us with tremendous sanctimony about how important the truth is and then turn around and say, well, Bill Clinton lied about sex, so he shouldn't have been prosecuted. I'm sorry, but they have no ground to stand on here. There's no principle that they are defending or forwarding. This is just what they want when they want it. Mueller is using mini, uh, you know, minuscule lies about unimportant things in order to create the appearance of a worthwhile prosecutorial effort and to try to build more and more witnesses to take down Trump. And it is a disgrace because we know that the Democrats who are getting caught up in this, or rather Democrats who should be caught up in all this, aren't. We know that they didn't take this approach, that Comey and the FBI didn't take this approach when Hillary Clinton was being asked about her emails. They bent over backwards to avoid perjury traps. Just like, you know, who gets prosecuted and who doesn't? Who is put in, in, in uh, jeopardy for perjury and who is not? These are decisions that are being made at the top level with politics in mind. And it is undermining our faith in the American judicial system. It's undermining our faith in the legal system, in prosecutors. That's what is happening. And the left doesn't care because if it helps them get Trump, they'll just burn the whole thing down. The Dersh, by the way, I think, made a, a very, uh, has been making good points about this all week. And, and look, I give him credit for being willing to stand up and, 
You know, he's a, he's a heavy hitter on the legal scene, whether you like him or not, he is. And he's saying what's true here, which is that, you know, Mueller's, what Mueller's doing is really just unethical. And the left doesn't care about it because it allows them to get to at least increase pressure on on Trump and those around him. So they're, they don't care about the, the damage that's being done to the whole system. These are the same people who tell us all the time, oh, Trump is undermining our democracy and he's undermining the system. Oh, my gosh. This is destroying our system. This is destroying our faith in it, to be sure. I'm not talk about undermining institutions. I don't think that as a conservative, I would get fair treatment now if I ever came into the crosshairs of the DOJ. I do not believe it at all. And I could cite chapter and verse as to why that is, what the precedents are here. I don't think Dinesh D'Souza thinks that he got fair treatment from the Department of Justice. Because he didn't. And here's what the Dersh is saying about how Mueller's been conducting himself about the truth and about lies. Play six. When prosecutors offer incentives to witnesses, uh, they're bribing them. Prosecutors offer bribes. If you offer a bribe, you go to jail. Uh, yeah. But if a prosecutor offers a bribe, it's regarded as good conduct. It shouldn't be legal. Tragically, it is. But what we're seeing now is case after case being built against people simply for lying. These are not crimes that occurred before the special prosecutor came to office. He's supposed to have uncovered crimes that had occurred in the past. Instead, he's facilitating and incentivizing the crimes by creating these perjury traps. Virtually all of his indictments and pleas come from people who he got to lie in front of investigators by setting perjury traps for them. Where is the crime? Where is the crime? Lavrenti Beria, secret secret police uh, chief in the Soviet Union, KGB guy. Um, he said, you show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That's exactly what Mueller's been doing all along here. And the man is Donald Trump and all those around him. They are manufacturing a criminal justification here, or rather a justification for taking action against Trump and those around him as though they are criminals. Uh, and they're tearing the country apart over this. And liberals should really be ashamed, but I think, unfortunately, especially the ones who are cheering this on, they're incapable of shame. But lies are not punished equally on both sides. Just like the media is biased, just like campuses are biased, there is now a bias in how we are to treat lies under oath in this country. Lies under oath made by those who are on the left, who are anti-Trump. They're given the benefit of the doubt. They're given leeway, and they get by without any punishment. Lies that have anything to do with Trump or defending Trump or in Trump's vicinity, the full weight of the prosecutor's weaponry is brought to bear against them. This is what keeps happening. We see it happening. Lies are not treated as bad equally on both sides. And this goes to a fundamental lack of, of fairness and a lack of, well, lack of truth that's occurring right now before our very eyes in the Justice Department with this Mueller probe. It is appalling. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about speech, by the way, on the show today and the, the fight for free speech because there's, there's a bunch of new stories ranging from uh, treating immigration criticism as hate speech to more social media platform censorship of conservatives. So we're going to really get into that and then also how the left is attacking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because he's not woke enough. We'll get there. Stay with me.
Sorry to spoil the surprise, but if you're getting gift from me this Christmas, you're getting coffee from my favorite coffee company, Black Rifle Coffee. Every morning when I go into the hill, I have a steamy, hot, delicious cup of Black Rifle, just black. And that's also how I drink it and the name of the coffee, by the way. It is delicious, okay? The aromas, the different taste profiles that come through are incredible. Oh, and by the way, this is a company run by and for veterans, including veterans of the United States Special Forces. These guys are amazing. Black Rifles Coffee Club makes things so easy. Just pick your blend, the amount you want, and they'll ship the coffee right to your door. Check this out for yourself. They offer three, six, and 12-month prepaid and pay-as-you-go subscriptions. The best-tasting, most energizing coffee imaginable, and they help veteran and first responder causes. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. It's Shakespearean uh, because somebody who said he would take a bullet for Donald Trump is now pointing the gun at him. Michael Cohen uh, could be the most single most terrifying person for Donald Trump, the single most uh, uh, destructive person for Donald Trump going forward. Everything is aiming aiming right at at the president personally, and that's got to be very unsettling for them. Today is a good day for Donald Trump to resign. I really believe that. (laughs) The president's reaction to Michael Cohen's the news about Michael Cohen today was exactly what we as prosecutors always hear from mob bosses and drug king- kingpins. That is that the cooperator is lying. He's just saying these things about me that aren't true to get a lighter sentence. And so this is kind of playing out exactly like a significant, complicated, organized crime prosecution would play out. Yeah, that's right. These people are nuts. None of what they're saying is is fair or true. And um, they just can't they can't help themselves. But there's one there's one one component of all this that I feel like we haven't really spent much time. You and I, we, we haven't talked about in a while, maybe ever. And that is, do these people realize how grotesque they sound when they celebrate what they think in their minds is going to be the complete destruction, humiliation, and incarceration of a human being who, you know, is a father, has a wife, has kids, and 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 really is trying to trying to help the country. Donald Trump didn't need this job. He's not a Clinton. This was this wasn't all so he could get, you know, a big book deal and do expensive speeches afterwards. You know, he, he he's a not a bad guy and yet they just just want to see him completely and utterly humiliated. And I'll say this, I never once in all the years and I was a a very outspoken critic as those of you who've been listening to me now for almost 8 years know of the Obama administration. I never fantasized about Obama going to prison. I never sat there and gleefully hoped for the day when an Obama family member would get locked up for something, you know, get get, get locked away in, in a cage somewhere in some federal prison. No, I didn't like Obama on policy. I thought he was a bad president. I think he's arrogant. I think he's overrated. But, you know, he's a guy who's got a nice family life and he's got cute kids. And, you know, I, I wasn't wishing... Uh, incarceration. I wasn't wish, wishing imprisonment on my political enemy. I mean, the left is just, and the media has completely embraced this with Trump. And what is wrong with them? It's not enough to just hope to beat him in election. They really want this guy to get sent to prison. Well, the good news is, and I can assure you of this, there are going to be a bunch of crybabies who are very disappointed in that hope. The president, uh, uh, is right to be nervous right now because uh, it, it appears that time is running out when he can hold himself above the law. 
and obviously uh, the developments uh, uh, help with that. The, the significance of, of the developments this week is that one of the central focuses of, 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 of the investigation is we have known, it's become very clear that the Trump campaign uh, colluded with the, the Russians in trying to subvert the election. The question How has been, wait, 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 was wait, wait, the president, wait, the question has been. How is that, the, Howard, can you say that so definitively that they've colluded? Well, the fact that uh, the, the fact that uh, Manafort and Trump Jr. met with uh, Russian agents uh, who told them that they wanted to give them dirt on Hillary to, as part of the Russian government's uh, attempt to help them and that they said, fine. I mean, it's, it's clear that the campaign colluded. The, and, and there's a lot of evidence of that. Get ready for this. Get ready for it. I'm here to tell you to prepare for what's coming on this whole Russia investigation. There's not going to be a bombshell. They don't have Trump because Trump didn't do anything. And they can't, they can't, you know, go after Trump with some criminal charge that they fabricated because it would be too obvious and Trump can fight back. And then, and then it'll, it'll be clear to everybody the whole thing is just a scam. Right. There won't even be a facade of of honesty and legality for this this Mueller witch hunt. But what what Congressman Nadler just did there is what the future of this is going to be, which is even when finally and and I don't I know I'm kind of maybe taking away from some of you that we're all waiting for that day when this thing ends and we can look around and say, what a bunch of crap this was. What a waste of the country's time. What a waste of the taxpayers' resources. All because libs are a bunch of crybabies who can't handle that Hillary lost because she's a corrupt, venal, self-dealing, quasi-evil candidate. And so they had to put the country through this. We had to have all these stories. You know, the news media essentially lighting its credibility on fire all in, our, in the hopes of, of propping up this narrative to take down Trump with this, right? We've been through all of this, and you know what's going to happen? There's never going to be, and I'm here to just be honest with you about this, there's never going to be that day when we get to say, you know what, Trump has been cleared, it's all over. Because what Nadler let out there is the line. Collusion's already been proven, it's just a question of can it be proven in a court of law. Oh, okay. So so what we're waiting for now is not the information that, I mean, they're going to keep saying it's a bombshell, it's a bombshell, because they, they want to get themselves excited about it, and, and they think that it creates pressure on the administration. It justifies this continued joke of a, of a special counsel, highly politicized hackery on display. It justifies all of it. But when we actually get to the end of this path, and there is no pot of gold, or I guess that would be a rainbow. I'm kind of mixing metaphors here, you know, yellow brick road, rainbow, pot of gold, you know, all that stuff. But there, there isn't that administration destroying revelation that they're all sitting and waiting for. They're not going to apologize. They're not going to scale this back and say, you know what, maybe we, maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves here. Maybe this was a bad idea and we should oppose Trump on policy. We should make arguments. We shouldn't just uh, try to hold out this hope that we're going to have a, a couple of, of pro-Hillary lawyers come in and with the help of the media nullify the 2016 election. No, they're going to say that it's already been proven. 
they're going to say that this is the, the, the facts were already in. It's just what could be proven in court. So we will never have the satisfaction of looking at the left and have them say, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right on this one. They, they think they have enough to go on right now. They think that they're, they're basically already there. Um, and, and that's, it's going to be frustrating, but I, I cannot, I cannot tell you this is going to go any other way. Uh, that's going to go any other way. You know, they're going to forget about, for example, what Rod Rosenstein said on July 13th here. Play 14. There's no allegation in this indictment that any American citizen committed a crime. There's no allegation that the conspiracy changed the vote count or affected any election result. That was about indicting those Russians, you know, all those Russian Facebook sock puppets, uh, none of whom have seen the inside of a U.S. court, I would note. None of whom have actually and ever will face any kind of justice. But that had to do with election interference. Very minimal, ineffective, ridiculous election interference. But that that's what that was all about. All the things that they're pushing for now have to do with process crimes, process crimes that have been incredibly aggressively pursued by special counsel Mueller. And, that, and that's what's been... That's what's at the heart of all of this. Um, that's what's really going on here. Uh, and I just, I, I, I find it very, very troubling. You know what else I find troubling? The rise of, of these uh, progressives in Congress who are, are in favor of, of essentially a, a, a false socialism. Uh, they really are, are trying to convince as many people as possible that the government could pay for all these things that people want, free college, free health care, uh, and, and it's not going to hurt the people that have to pay the government, which is the taxpayer. They don't have a, a very basic understanding of economics. Uh, but then again, Barack Obama didn't have a, a, a foundational under, understanding of economics either. But I think there are a few who are worse on this and, and who are more egregiously ignorant than uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Play clip eight. Every moment when our country has reached the depths of darkness, in every moment when we were at the brink, at the cusp of an abyss, and we did not know if we would be capable of saving ourselves, we have. We've done it. We've dug deep. And we've done what we thought was impossible. We went to the moon. We electrified the nation. We established civil rights. We enfranchised the country. We dig deep and we did it. We did it when no one else thought that we could. That's what we did when so many of us won an election this year. Yeah, that's right. Ocasio-Cortez winning a congressional seat in very, very blue New York City is like the civil rights struggle and going to the moon all in one, man. Now, I, I know that there's going to be a a, a moderating a moderation in, in the tone of some of these progressives when they get into Congress because Pelosi Pelosi knows the country's not ready to vote for full on full on liberal wackadoos right they, they, they know that the country's not ready to go all out socialism but they're going to try to take us there in in baby steps and someone like an Ocasio Cortez uh, who is you know the, the the left is so incredibly enamored with and you think you sort of sit around and go what what is this based on what okay she ran a campaign and and beat a very uh, non charismatic I mean a politician that quite this guy Crowley 
unless you were really following Congress closely, you didn't know who this guy was. Shouldn't it matter more that, that Ocasio-Cortez hasn't really done or accomplished anything and doesn't have a, 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 very, a very basic understanding of economics or even the policies in general that she describes? Oh, no, because she sounds the part to the left. She looks the part to the left of, of reformer, of social justice hero, and that's all that really matters to them. Is this president trying to impersonate Hugo Chavez, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Vladimir Putin? What a great case officer uh, Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle uh, an asset, and that's what he's doing with the president. When do we see almost a shadow government come out and say, we cannot side with the government? Why is President Trump showing sympathy for white nationalists and other hate groups? What does that tell you in an America that one that, that in one generation called you a What does that tell you, Don? We can surely say his words have absolutely emboldened white supremacists. 16 tweets today to start the new year, some of them deeply disturbing. These are the messages from a person who is not well, from a leader who is not fit for office. He's President Snowflake, okay? Everything he said, oh, they're mean to me and they don't like me and I just don't understand it and it's not fair. CNN is a filthy dumpster fire of idiocy these days. It It has been for a while now. But it keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, I, we just want to share these some of the worst stuff that has been said on CNN, for example, about about the president. You know, the president is effectively supporting neo Nazis. The president is, a, you know, he's a terrible human being. I mean, they'll they'll say all this stuff all the time, and then they'll turn around and they'll be like, "Well, but we're an objective news network." And, and I feel badly for the delusional people in CNN's. I suppose, loyal audience. I don't know anybody these days who still watches CNN by choice. I mean, I don't know. Uh, the only people I know uh, watch, I know people watch MSNBC. I'm not saying I know a lot of libs. I just feel like, I don't know who watches CNN um, because it's just liberalism without the without the honesty about it being liberalism. At least MSNBC says what it is. But they say terrible things all the time. And I think that's why there's some surprise about what happened with uh, with, with Mark Lamont Hill. And, you know, Charlie Cook, remember, Mark Lamont Hill was a CNN contributor who went before the U.N. and, and he's very pro-Palestinian. We actually debated radical Islam once on uh, on CNN. And I, he got, I mean, on, I wouldn't say he got smoked, but like I am better on the issue than he is. So there, there you go. Uh, but, you know, we, we I mean, others have gotten totally smoked. He just got he just got defeated. But he he's an adept debater. I mean, he's he's not some he's not some joke when he's arguing with people and he'll get dirty too. he'll fight dirty when he wants to. Uh, but he was at the U.N. and he said this. Thing. Remember, this was the rant that got him it wasn't even a rant. I shouldn't even say that. This was what the prepared remarks were that got him fired at this U.N. pro-Palestinian thing. Play 10. If we are standing in solidarity with Palestinian people, we must recognize the right of an occupied people to defend itself. We must prioritize peace, we must, but we must not romanticize or fetishize it. Commit to political action, <coughs> grassroots action, local action, and international action that will give us what justice requires. And that is a free Palestine from the river to the sea. And Palestine from the river to the sea means no Israel. So I mean, he's he's calling for the I mean, he's calling for the eradication of Israel. I mean, this is this is what Hamas says. And I know that I talked to you about this yesterday, but you know, there, and I, and I had this feeling of well, you know, I don't like people that get fired for what they say, but you know, I also look, 
you know, I have limits, right? The First Amendment is not a is not a it's not a free speech suicide pact either. I mean, you know, I, I have my limits, too. But, you know, Charlie Cook over at uh, a National Review, who's like I talked to him the other day, by the way, he's living down in Florida. He's you know married, got a cute kid. He's doing well. I mean, he's doing really well. I'm glad Charlie was uh, in my real news days. Such a nice guy, uh, Charles Cook, and such a talented writer. And I know some of you probably aren't that big in a national review, but Charlie's stuff is worth reading just because of the the skill of his writing. Uh, but uh, Charlie Charlie wrote a piece on this, and he he pointed this out. I don't even really know this. I kind of remember this about Mark uh, Lamont Hill, but I, I didn't know some of the details. Mark Lamont Hill is one of the worst offenders for the oh that guy's doing a dog whistle, so he's you know go after him. So there is some there's some particular justice in this in the firing of Mark Lamont Hill for saying what he said. You know, there there is some uh you know there is some degree of he finally got his comeuppance here. Cuz for example, when uh when Ron DeSantis said about the about socialism in the state of Florida that quote we don't want to monkey it up. Speaking specifically about socialism, uh, I would note that there were a lot of people that said that that was, you know, that was a racist dog. He wasn't speaking about Andrew Gillum. He wasn't speaking about that person, but he was speaking about socialism in the state of Florida. And there were a lot of people who jumped on DeSantis for that. And you know who was one of them? Mark Lamont Hill. It's, you know, it's it's obviously a racist dog whistle, Mark Lamont Hill said. So while I, I you know, I, I think there's a lot of complexity in this discussion about how do we, how do we... Uh, foster and and how do we i wouldn't even say maintain how do we recreate a robust culture of free speech in this country how do we do that how do we go about it and you know because the left now the left has abandoned it the left is no longer trying to achieve the same ends and i think that people who in particular people who use language like oh that's a dog whistle oh, that's racist even when there's no racist intent. That's subconsciously racist. I think they have to be held to the same extreme standard as individuals that they try to hold others to. You know, if, if you have no good faith and no grace in dealing with others, I think it's a lot harder to ask for good faith and, and grace uh, yourself when you run afoul of these ever-changing and ever-tightening uh, speech codes. Just speaking about CNN being... Uh, a dumpster fire of crap, lousy idiocy. Jim Shuto actually went to my high school. I could tell he didn't really like me. Eh, we never really, uh, never really saw eye to eye. I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, I was ever sad about that. Uh, this guy, when I used to work at CNN, always struck a, 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 little, a little pompous and a little, a little full of, a, a little full of, uh, of bull crap. You are um, a over. rude, terrible person. Yeah, thank you, John. Exactly. That's right. Shudo said this on climate change, you know, because because I talk about climate change and I say the left has lost their mind that I, I use some pretty strong, strong language on it. Here is former Obama appointee, by the way, who is allowed to now just be a journalist at CNN. Former Obama appointee Jim Shudo, play 12. Keep saying, well, we have record clean environment doesn't get to the temperature. We got kids. Uh, yeah. We don't want to be, you know, slowly yeah. burned to death on our own planet here. We don't want to be. I mean, speaking about climate change, we don't want to be slowly burned to death on our own planet. Is is Jim Shudo, is he just incapable of, of reading anything from history about how wrong all the predictions about that have been? 
Or is he pandering to an audience full of, of the worst kind of idiots, which is what you get on the left. On the left, you have people who think they are really smart, but are actually idiots. That's, that's the toughest kind of idiot to deal with because they don't believe that they have learned. There's no humility. There's no desire to learn more or to learn anything. They think they already know all they have to know about everything because they take the positions that are, that are dominant on the left that have become, uh, that have been held up throughout our culture as what the smart, nice, good people think. Uh, but that's how you get to a point where a, an adult, uh, you know, Ivy League educated male like Jim Shudo will say something on air that is just so dumb that it, it really forced me to, to, to just stare at the ceiling and say, I don't understand how these people even tie their shoes in the morning. Just this week, I have grilled up a couple of sirloins. I've made some delicious burgers, all from Omaha Steaks. The quality is incredible. I've got them in my fridge right now. I love it. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter code BUCK into the search bar, you'll get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package, originally $195, now only $49.99. With this Steaks family gift package, you'll get four hand-cut top sirloins, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly brown potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus four more burgers free. It's a fifth-generation family-owned company, folks. Omaha Steaks is the best at delivering perfectly aged beef hand-cut by master butchers. Go to omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today, only $49.99. Again, omahasteaks.com, type buck in the search bar. When free speech is censorship, and censorship is free speech. This is... This is... Quite Orwellian. People overuse that term a lot, but in this case, I think it is apt. It was only a matter of time before we got here. The, the left's desire to shut down free and, and open debate and discussion is now, it, it is unavoidable. No one can pretend that this is not happening. It is, in fact, happening. We are seeing it happen before our very eyes. And whether it's the, the social media platforms, college campuses, uh, this is just a part of the culture. There's one side that wants to tell the other side uh, what terms can and cannot be used to change terms that have been in use for a long time. And they know that Americans in particular, the left knows that we have a, a, a fondness, a, a cultural affinity, a, a deep an abiding connection to and respect for free speech. We understand that, you know, yeah, you need the Second Amendment to give you the first, but you need the first for all the other ones. You know, I mean, you, you need to have an ability to share ideas freely to live in a free society. This is every kid in school needs to be taught this and needs to forget just being taught. It needs to understand it needs to believe it. What is really different about America from all these other countries? I mean, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of resources and, you know, our rule of law is pretty good. But quite honestly, you know, Japan has better rule of law in terms of obedience than we do. You know, some European countries have better rule of law adherence, right? I mean, fewer people breaking laws than we do. 
what really separates us is our focus on individual rights, the, the right of the individual and our our cultural and legal and and you know spiritual connection to freedom. Without freedom, what do we have? We are all just living at the whim of the state. Without freedom to express ideas, the state is determining what our freedoms are. And, and that's why I find it troubling, to say the least, when, when you see this argument being made in the New York Times. And, you know, I'm glad the argument's at least being made in the open now. There was a time when they would have tried to avoid this. But essentially, the, the argument they're making now is that uh, by banning certain speech that the left does not like, they are promoting free speech. That's right. Censorship encourages discussion. This is where the left is now because they can't, they can't avoid the reality that they want to stop you from being able to say certain things. They want to stop me from being able to tell you certain things. And they can't win the arguments on this. I mean, this is, we're about to talk about transgenderism here. They can't win the argument on transgenderism. They're just wrong. They're wrong on the science. They're wrong on the ethics. They are just wrong. And so what are they doing? They're trying to, the same way that the left never won the debate on abortion. They never convinced the country. They never convinced 51% of the country that abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy should be a considered a constitutional right, they just rammed it all down our throats with the force of a politicized uh, and activist Supreme Court. And then they act like it's sacred, always and forever. They're trying to do the same thing with transgenderism. They can't win this debate. They can't win this argument. So they plan to use the force of the state to just jam it down our throats. And we cannot allow this to happen. I don't want to be a party to a fraud, but more to the point, I don't want to be forced into falsehoods by the state on false pretenses, on false premises. Essentially, me being told by the government, you have to refer to somebody who is female as male or else. Really? Or else what? I get fined? Well, if I don't pay my fine, do I go to prison? If I don't show up to prison voluntarily, do you send people with with sticks and guns to uh, to physically force me to? Remember that behind every dictate of the state, there is at least the threat of the force of the state. And that ultimately the state is built upon a monopoly of violence. All right, let's get into this New York Times piece. How Twitter's ban on dead naming promotes... Free Speech, written by a transgender named Parker Malloy. Uh, Miss Malloy, New York Times refers to Miss Malloy. No, I, it's, it is in fact not Miss Malloy. Uh, this individual's name can, you know, he can call himself whatever he wants, but that doesn't change the reality. It does not change the reality. And if we're going to then base government policies upon gender, which we do, there are many government policies around, on gender uh, that are gender related, Th then we have to actually uh, deal in objective reality. But here's what the, the reference is to Twitter, how Twitter will now, uh, look, I might get, I'm telling you this in advance, Twitter may kick me off at some point because I, I, I will not go along with this quietly. I'm not going to go along with being told that a male is a female and a female is a male 
And and I just have to accept that. I, I'm sorry. I do not accept that. But here's Twitter's new new policy. Quote, we prohibit targeting individuals with repeated slurs, tropes, or other content that intends to dehumanize, degrade, or reinforce negative or harmful stereotypes about a protected category. This includes targeted misgendering or deadnaming of transgender individuals. Now, as I've told you, deadnaming is when you refer to someone by their previous name, which I would note, as a journalist, for example, or as a government body, you are going to have to do this in certain circumstances, right? The charges were brought against Bradley Manning for leaking a vast trove of classified information. Charges were not brought against Chelsea Manning, okay? His, his name at the time was, was Bradley. Now, that Bradley wishes to be called Chelsea now is fine. I'd go by Buck. Buck is short for Buckman, which is my middle name. I've always been called Buck, but that's really just kind of a courtesy. If people really wanted to insist, I guess they could call me James, but that would be kind of jerk-like. So I'm not about to tell somebody what their name is. Chelsea Manning. I always refer to Chelsea Manning as such, but I will not refer to Chelsea Manning as her because Chelsea Manning is not a her. But Twitter is now, Twitter is telling us that their policies, I mean, this is a very political decision, by the way. This is as political as a decision gets. So now we know that their terms of service, this is a social media platform that the president uses. I mean, this is increasingly becoming a center of public debate and discussion. They are weighing in on this in a political fashion you know, and, and doing so in a way that will punish conservatives. That's what this means. So dead naming, I would note, though, isn't just refer, rather, it isn't just intentionally, it wouldn't be just me saying Bradley Manning, Bradley Manning, when today... He goes by Chelsea. They say that even even bringing up the person's previous name. So if I said formerly Bradley Manning, comma, now Chelsea, that is dead naming. There's a huge no, no. This all just comes from in the transgender community, which is a very obviously a community that has a lot of very fragile people who are delusional. So they don't like it when you bring up just, again, a fact, which is that they used to be called something else. I don't get offended when someone says my first name is James. I say, yes, you are correct. That is a fact. My first name is James. The IRS knows me as James. You know, if somebody really wants to call me that, fine. I, I, it's kind of weird, but, you know, that's, it, it is what it is. But this has led to some bizarre, this new Twitter policy has led to some crazy stuff. I actually have Megan Murphy, who's a huge feminist, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we agree on nothing. Uh, just based on what left-wing feminism is these days. But Murphy was kicked off of of Twitter entirely because she calls trans women he and him and did that referring to a journalist. So they, they kicked her off. Uh, they, they kicked her off of Twitter. So, so now the left is having to live by these rules. Uh, but the way they're getting around what is obviously politicized censorship, or rather this one person who is a, uh, where, where, does, where does he work? Oh, Media Matters. Parker Molloy works for Media Matters. Among the most distasteful, disgusting, stupid, loser organizations in America. I mean, Media Matters is a grotesque, festering, oozing boil on the media. So start with that. 
But this this uh, individual, Parker Malloy, goes at length this article to say, well, because it's so mean to dead name or misgender just means you refer to them by somebody by a different gender than what they they want to be. You're hurting debate and discussion because you're shutting discussion down. So so now you see free speech to the left. They're trying out this new argument. I mean, this is it's intellectually flimsy. It's garbage, but they're trying. Right. They'll throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. Free speech is premised upon not taking a position that the other side finds offensive from the from the outset. But if we continue with this, if we were to agree to these terms, let's just all understand that it would also mean that you'd have to use terms like undocumented. Oh, I can't have a discussion about I can't have a discussion about immigration if you're going to say things like. Uh, illegal alien, they say, because that's just so rude and dehumanizing. You can't be dehumanizing. Well, to that I say no, because illegal alien is the legal term. So that is a an issue of fact. I'm not going to use some make-believe language that the other side comes up with because in doing so, I am conceding their point that this is merely a question of a lack of documents, not a question of violation of law. Take that same logic and apply it to transgenderism. The moment that you start to say that somebody didn't have a former name that they did have and that somebody should be referred to a pronoun that is a a factual issue of he or she, not a preference, you've already conceded the argument to the other side. And that's what this is really all about. They will censor, they will bully, they will verbally bludgeon until they get their way. And that the New York Times would print something like this just goes to show what an intellectual abomination the New York Times has been for for decades. It really, I think ever since the 90s, you could argue that the New York Times has been essentially just, uh, you know, the the intellectual equivalent of of media matters, just with better writers. At least the people the New York Times can write. I'll give them that. They're skilled writers. Media matters is just a bunch of idiots. We'll be back. Google, Facebook, Twitter, they're all bunch of progressive left-wing monopolies, my friends. Do you want to break that monopoly? Go to snippy.com. If you've looked at snippy.com in the past and left, go back again and check it out for yourself, okay? Snippy is an unbiased social media platform. It's all about conversation and community. They not only encourage freedom of expression, but they guarantee users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Snippy's a place where everyone's free to express their thoughts and share their opinions and tell the world what makes them maybe a little snippy. All right, discussion is all about openness, and that's what's valued at Snippy. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thoughts ever. Snippy.com now has an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android snippy.com totally free to join check it out yourself snippy.com is your new alternative social media continue on with our discussion here of uh of bias and censorship and how the left is playing the game these days really interesting report out of the out of the daily caller you know we had benny johnson over this week daily caller is great i mean i would beat any of them in ping pong and i keep I'm trying to talk enough smack that they finally, they Daily Caller allegedly has a ping pong tournament every year for all of its employees. And I'm not an employee of Daily Caller, but I just want to go over there representing the Hill where I work 
and take, you know, I want to take the belt. You know what I mean? Isn't John, right? Like the WWE belt, there's a big belt. I want to take the ping pong belt from the Daily Caller. Do you support this idea? Whatever makes you happy. Thank you. All right. Whatever makes me happy. I'll, I'll, I'll take that for now. So, but, but the Daily Caller had this, uh, had this story that broke today. And let me just, let me give you some of the, some of the details or some of the uh, headlines. And then, and then we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of why this matters. Although I think it's pretty obvious. Google employees debated whether to bury conservative media outlets in the company's search function as a response to President Donald Trump's election in 2016, internal Google communications obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation reveal. The Daily Caller and Breitbart were specifically singled out as outlets to potentially bury the communication, to, to bury rather. Trump's election in 2016 shocked many Google employees who had been counting on Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton to win. Communications obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation show that internal Google discussions went beyond expressing remorse over Clinton's loss to actually discussing ways to um, show them up from showing in search results. Uh, that's that's what they're, this is what they're doing, folks. This is what they are up to. This is not surprising at all, is it? We, we think of these platforms as just that. I mean, I'm even using the term platform. These are media companies. These are massive, massive distribution platforms for content. And they can make minor, minor changes to the way that they do business that could have a massive, massive impact on just how, uh, well, honestly, how, how issues are discussed in this country and, and going forward, um, what the future of the country is going to be like because they can change. We, you know, Breitbart used to say, and he was right, that politics is downstream from culture. Well, culture is downstream from media platforms. Culture is downstream from social media now uh, because the, the social media outlets that we have, especially for younger people, influence so much of their thinking and how they approach topics and, and, and what they see reflected in their peer group and, and how they see people around them talking about things. This is the, the the biggest media challenge that we have now. I mean, the fact that there is not a single right of center major social media platform is a huge problem. Because you see, on our this this would be like uh, the way that we have. You know, there are conservative judges, but to be a conservative judge just means that you apply the law as it is. A conservative social media platform wouldn't be what the libs have, meaning that they are trying to stack the deck all the time. You could have a right-of-center version of, let's say, Facebook, a right-of-center version of Google could entail just, we're going to be a platform, we're not going to manage the content unless there's an imminent threat or there's, you know, profan- or, or uh, you know pornography or profanity or something that's an objective standard that can be applied to content. Uh, we are not getting involved in any kind of political speech policing. Th- that would actually be a, a right of center social media company now. You know, that that would be a place where you could go and say, and, and look, and we, we've obviously partnered with one on this show. I mean, they're starting to, this is starting to happen now. People are realizing this, but we, we can't live, we can't live at, at the whims of the progressive left online anymore. 
we're just going to keep losing. We can't allow them to dictate the terms, the actual, I mean, literally the terms of, of discussion. We can't do that. We're never going to be able to turn this around. Think of the advantage that the left has going into elections when every time somebody does a news search, let's say for caravan, do they get the stories about how there are guys with MS-13 face tattoos walking around in the caravan? No, they don't get those stories. What stories pop up at the top? Oh, women were t- women and babies were tear gassed. These big, mean Border Patrol, all these, quote, racists in the Border Patrol who are almost half Latino themselves and about 25% military veterans. So you got a lot of Latino military vets trying to defend our country at the border, and the left is essentially spitting on them. They're, they're you know, r- rhetorically spitting on them while the caravan people are throwing rocks at them. And if Google can, under the auspices of trying to, uh, you know, defend migrant identity or something, if Google is able to make sure that the only stories that the average person who wants to learn about the news sees are left-wing propaganda, New York Times, Washington Post, etc., they're going to start, they're going to, even though they're losing these arguments on the merits, they're going to win them in terms of popular opinion. That's the power these platforms have. Some big stories this week, including the reality of Twitter's terms of service and how it is weaponized against conservatives. Also, more and more of this uh, feverish delusion from the left that they finally got not just Donald Trump, but maybe even his family. To address this, we have with us the great constitutional and conservative enforcer in the social media realm, the one and only Sean Davis. He is a co-founder of The Federalist. You all know I Plug the Federalist.com here on radio on a regular basis. Sean, great to have you back, man. How you doing? Uh, great to be here. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. So tell me what happened with, with, with the way NPR is running this story on Don Jr.'s testimony. And, and you're, you're just calling out. You're saying it's a straight-up lie. Well, what's going on here? Yeah, they lied. So this morning, NPR breathlessly reported a piece claiming that Don Jr. had lied about the Trump Organization's uh, business dealings in Moscow in 2015 and 2016. Specifically, NPR claimed that when Don Jr. was asked whether uh, these business dealings were ongoing in 2015 and 2016, that he said certainly not in 2016. It had ended way before in 2014. And they claimed that this contradicts testimony from Michael Cohen, who's engaged in a plea deal with Mueller, and proves that Donald Jr. committed a felony by lying to Congress. Uh, The reality uh, is that NPR lied to its entire audience, and that if you actually look at his transcript, he was explicitly asked, hey, were you working on a, a Trump Tower deal, or was Trump working on a Trump Tower deal in Moscow in 2015 and 2016? And he said, yes, absolutely. He told them about the letter of intent that the president had signed. Uh, he offered to give that to them. And it turns out that the question that he was actually asked, uh, that NPR mischaracterized, was not whether he was doing a business deal or whether his organization was doing a deal in Moscow uh, in 2015 or 2016, but whether he had been working with a specific individual on that deal. And he said, no, I worked with that guy back in 2014. NPR blatantly mischaracterized it. They clipped out all the context. Uh, They butchered the actual question. And then they made sure that nobody saw in their story that Trump Jr. had actually admitted to the very thing that they claimed he was lying about. It, it was shameless, deceitful, fake news from top to bottom. 
What's your sense of uh, of of the Cohen situation from this week? I, I saw a little bit of that that glee returning to the eyes of some of the the most uh, fervent Russia collusion fantasists out there. Do you have any? Does any of this strike you as as really concerning for those of us who are supporters of the administration? Is there anything that we need to be aware of here that we're not already seeing, or is the left just completely insane? Well, so uh, the the news on Cohen this week was that he pled guilty to one count of lying to Congress. Um, now, is somebody who believes very fervently in the importance of constitutional congressional oversight, if he lied to Congress, he should get rung up. Um, but as to your question, should anyone be disturbed? We should be disturbed that um, that there seems to be a real double standard when it comes to lying to Congress. Um, for example, Glenn Simpson lied to Congress. He told him that he hadn't spoken to Bruce Orr uh, at a certain point in 2016 when we now know uh, he had. James Clapper lied to Congress about mass surveillance on Americans. John Brennan, the CIA director uh, who cooked up this entire Russia conspiracy uh, hoax, he lied to Congress about spying on Congress. So to the extent we should be concerned, it shouldn't be that Michael Cohen might get rung up for lying to Congress. It's that all the other people who lie to Congress with impunity can somehow do it just as long as they have the right politics. And that's a really, really dangerous place to be in in this country where you have one system of justice for people who share the political beliefs of the elite power brokers and another system of justice for the rest of us. You know, the the Comey attorneys who are arguing that Republicans had abused uh, abused their powers with selective leaks, right? This is because Comey is asking a judge to block GOP efforts for closed-door testimony. This is just more sancta Comey wanting to grandstand, isn't it? Oh, no. I think it's, I think it's a lot worse than that for Comey. So he was subpoenaed to come testify uh, and to clarify some previous testimony uh, he gave to Congress under oath um, that seems to have been contradicted by a lot of things he said publicly since. The, uh, the box that Comey's in uh, is that when he goes in there, if his answers this time don't match up with his answers last time or match up with his answers that he's given on TV during his publicity book tour, he is in real trouble. So it, it, I got to give his lawyers some credit that their guy, their client, who, by the way, stole government records, leaked them, uh, several which were classified, and then had a buddy of his give them to the New York Times so he could get revenge on the guy who fired him, now says he can't comply with a congressional subpoena because he's worried people might leak his testimony. Like My irony meter just exploded all over the place. Also, I, I don't think that that is a really valid, you know, like if I were called to testify, let's say, in front of a grand jury, I couldn't just say, well... I'm concerned that the sealed grand jury testimony may leak to the public, so I'm just not showing up. I, I didn't know that there was an exemption for that. There's not. And, and, and what Comey is very trying to cynically do here while uh, posturing as this Boy Scout, this ethical power ranger, he's actually trying to run out the clock. He knows that uh, whatever crimes he may have committed uh, aren't going to come to light. His buddy Bob Mueller's not going to do anything to him. His buddy Rod Rosenstein's not going to do anything to him. His only risk right now is a Congress that actually cares about doing oversight on abuses of power at DOJ and FBI. And those guys are about to get bounced from power in the next month or two. So all Comey is trying to do right now is run out the clock and get to a Democrat Congress because he knows once that happens, he will never be accountable for what he did uh, during the 2016 election and afterwards. What's your take on this idea that the Senate should 
Now, I, I'm going to guess that you're like me. You think that it's a stupid idea and they shouldn't do it. But just on the constitutionality of it, I've been hearing people all week talking about how there needs to be this. And when I say people, I mean senators and people on TV. There needs to be this Protect Mueller Act. I, I don't understand how they think that the Constitution works if the, if the Senate, uh, you know, if Congress can just say, well, this thing that the president has power to do, we're just going to say he can't do anymore. I mean, could, could they pass a law that says the president no longer has pardon power because they don't want him to pardon anybody? I mean, they keep talking about constitutional crises in uh, a crises in other circumstances where it's clearly not constitutional. To me, this actually is a constitutional problem. I don't think you can pass laws that say the president can't do what he's constitutionally allowed to do. No, we, we have three branches of government in this country, the judiciary, the executive, and the legislative. Um, what, what people in the, the never-Trump resistance are wanting to do is create an unaccountable fourth branch of government, uh, which is what they think they have in, in Bob Mueller. And it's interesting to me to see people say that somehow acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker's appointment is unconstitutional, um, even though it's temporary, because he hasn't been Senate-confirmed. When Bob Mueller who has been confirmed by the Senate to do absolutely nothing right now, has the full powers of the CIA director, uh, nigh close to the attorney general and the FBI director. After all, this is a man who's been running a counterintel, uh, an FBI investigation by his lonesome for the, the past year and a half. So you can't come and say, oh, the, the acting AJ, he's unconstitutional. But Bob Mueller, he needs to have permanent, untouchable powers that make him accountable to no one, and the Senate doesn't have to confirm him at all. That's nonsense. And it just proves that the only constitutional crises we're actually seeing are those deliberately created by the never-Trump resistance left. You know, there's been, uh, we're speaking to Sean Davis, everyone, co-founder of The Federalist. You can read his latest and the many other talented writers there at thefederalist.com. Sean, a lot of a lot of stuff on Twitter really starting last weekend when Jesse Kelly, who's a buddy of mine, I know he writes for you guys, The Federalist, uh, when he got temporarily banned, then they said suspended. Uh, There's also a feminist. I can't remember her name. She was suspended or banned, whatever it was, for saying that a man is not a woman. That's apparently now a a uh, a kind of firing offense from Twitter or at least from getting fired from their platform. And then there's this Laura Loomer thing, too. Before I ask you about Jack Dorsey and what's really going on with Twitter, what do you know? Laura Loomer, I feel like I'm a guy who works in conservative media, and I don't really... Who is this person that's been kicked off of Twitter who's chaining herself to Twitter headquarters? Do you know anything about her? Yeah, she she's a... Uh, I'd, I'd say she's a, a right-wing provocateur. I don't agree with what a lot of what she does. I, I didn't agree with a lot of what uh, Alex Jones did either. But I do know that nothing that Jesse Kelly or Alex Jones or Megan Murphy, who's the Canadian feminist, who is banned. There we go. Yeah, Megan Murphy. Yeah. Women, uh, or Jesse Kelly, um, they didn't do anything that was actually against the rules. Okay. And that's the problem with Twitter is that Twitter wants to have it both ways. It wants to have a complete stranglehold over the content that shows up on there. It wants to control what people can say. It wants to control who can say it. Yet on the flip side, it doesn't want any accountability for the things that it decides can be published on its own platform. Uh, and that comes under the purview of a law called the Communications Decency Act, which gives uh, third-party tech service providers wide immunity from liability for things that are published on their site. But what Twitter wants is they want to be a publisher. They want to control who can say things and what things they can say, but they don't want any liability for it. And that's the problem here is that there are no standards, there are no rules, it's Calvin Ball all the way down. But Twitter won't just own up and say, yep, we want to be a publisher and we want to be in control of what people can say. They can't have it both ways. I think that there's just too much 
social pressure on on the people you know you, we could say oh but they're so powerful and wealthy i mean these guys who are uh, either running or or just early you know early involved in in some of these massive platforms are obviously incredibly rich and and very influential but sean at the end of the day i, I think that they just can't they can't stomach not having the you know new york silicon valley dc industrial complex embrace them i, I just think that they have an issue with it well, I think that's probably the most generous explanation. Um, a, a less generous one would be that they're actually pushing for it, that these are all extremely ideological left-wing social justice warriors who think that if uh, you have wrong thoughts uh, and wrong words, that you don't deserve a, a place in the public square. That, that's increasingly where we're going, whether it's Google uh, contemplating censoring Breitbart and Daily Caller, whether it's Twitter uh, banning people like Jesse Kelly, or whether it's Facebook going out of its way to spike uh, conservative website results in its trending sidebar. We are seeing this across the board uh, from these monopolistic tech giants, and it's bad for America. It's bad for discourse. It's bad for all of us. It really does feel like we've, we've reached a uh, almost a, a correction uh, like a stock market correction in terms of freedom of speech and the dissemination of information that the internet unleashed. You know, it, originally it was so much information, so, so much communication and, and freedom from the, the restraints of the past. Uh, you know, you don't obviously need to have a printing press. You don't need to have a radio station or a TV channel uh, to get your information out there or just to get information. Now it's we're entering a new phase where they really are clamping down on things and, and acting, I think, to 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 tilt the deck. And when you look at something like the even the 2016 election, there's been so much focus on, you know, how Russia has been involved in the election. One thing that I always want to know is how much did like Facebook and Twitter decide to help Hillary in a way that, OK, maybe it's legal, but we don't even know about. No, you're you're exactly right. Um, we are in a place now where. The public square isn't so much public as it is controlled um, by four to five major left-wing tech monopolies. Um, it, it, it's, it's not good. And what we had started with, I'll say, 15 to 20 years ago, was we had this massive democratization of the Internet. And what that did was it removed the power of controlling information from the gatekeepers. And the result of that was that it empowered conservatives especially, because it was liberals who had all, always controlled uh, the information gates. And I think uh, the, the left-wingers in the tech world realized, wait, this the uh, democratization of information, yeah, in theory it looks kind of good, but in practice all it's doing is leveling the playing field with our enemies, and we can't have that. And so now they've dedicated themselves to making sure that can't happen going forward. Yeah, you're right. I completely endorse all that. That's absolutely what they're doing. Sean Davis, everyone, if you're not already following him on Twitter and you're on Twitter, you're missing out. And uh, check out his stuff on The Federalist. Sean, have a great weekend and come back soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. All right, team, we got more on the way on our Freestyle Friday. Stay with me. I have leverage because we have a narrow majority on the Judiciary Committee. And uh, so I, I'm using it. You use leverage to get votes to the floor that should be on the floor. You use them, but people often use them most when they're not running again. And I will never forget your interview recently with 60 Minutes, ever, with Senator Coons, where you said, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have reached across mm -hmm. the aisle if I were running again. That's Could true. you have done this with the judges if you were running again, <laughs> Senator? Probably not. No. Uh, but, but it's not that it shouldn't be done. Um, 
I just felt that it was important to do. Uh, you, you have to take a stand, and uh, we've got to protect the special counsel. We don't want to provoke a constitutional crisis. Flake is an idiot. I don't know who votes for this guy. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know how Flake managed to fool people into casting a vote for him. But, you know, the one good news after the midterm is that the Republicans still have a majority in the Senate and will have a majority in the Senate going forward now. And Flake is trying to take away the most important thing that that can do, which is continue to get conservative judges elevated onto the federal judiciary, federal bench. And this week you had uh, one of Trump's nominees manage to manage to, to clear this one. Um, a Judge Farr, I believe is his name. Uh, he managed to get through uh, Thomas Farr. Uh, he's going to be a district court judge in North Carolina. The seat's been vacant since 2005. The only way he got through was a tie-breaking vote in the Senate from Vice President, President of the Senate, Mike Pence. So because of clowny McClown Clown, Jeff Flake, we got to have the VP step in and be a tiebreaker. It's just, you know, what what does he think he's doing? First of all, he says he's worried about a constitutional crisis. The constitutional crisis is the idea that you can pass laws that tells the president how he can and cannot use his constitutionally uh, constitutionally afforded discretion. Right? The president has the right to make certain decisions, right? The president shall, the president may, the president can. That doesn't mean the Senate gets to just take that away. These are independent and co-equal branches of government, right? What would happen if the president all of a sudden just said, you know what, I'm going to just write a budget. Thanks, guys. Don't need your help anymore. I got my own people. Everybody would say, oh, my gosh, it's so unconstitutional. Well, guess what? When it comes to whether the president's going to fire an employee, because as much as the left doesn't want to believe this, Mueller is an employee. He works for the executive branch. His authority comes from the executive branch. To tell him that he can't fire him is, is blatantly unconstitutional. It's just bonkers. It is just simply bonkers. But this is what they do. There's no principle. There's no, there's no consistency. And, and they know they can count on getting flaked out here by people like Jeff Flake. Democrats never do this. You know, a Democrat never defects at that key moment from their side. It's only our side that just has all these political cowards, so-called moderate Republicans. Christmas came early this year for my crew at the Hill because I gave a bunch of them some of my Black Rifle coffee today. That's right. I got an extra case of it and I wanted to hook some people up and they're like, Buck, what do you drink every morning? And I tell them Black Rifle coffee because it is the most delicious, freedom-loving, pro-veteran, pro-patriotism coffee you can possibly drink. And the quality of the coffee is amazing. Have it delivered to your door every month. It's so easy. Just join the coffee club. Black Rifle makes the gift of great uh, tasting coffee easy by offering three, six, and 12-month prepaid and pay-as-you-go subscriptions. And you can gift them, okay? So try this for yourself, folks. Easy, great gift going into the holidays for anybody out there. The best tasting, most energizing, most veteran, America-loving Patriotic coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and you'll receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. And although it is 
joint agreement isn't binding, it's still um, meant to be the legal framework on which the participating countries commit themselves to build new legislation. And one basic element of this new agreement is the extension of the definition of hate speech. The agreement want to criminalize migration speech. Criticism of migration will become a criminal offense. And media outlets, and that also concerns you, that give room to criticism of migration can be shut down. The compact for migration is legalization of mass migration. So that's a EU bureaucrat there at a meeting. They're talking about a compact of EU nations that are, are going to be taking up this idea of, well, criticizing immigration is, is a punishable offense. This has been gaining steam for a while uh, among the internationalist, cosmopolitanist left. Uh, this notion that criticizing immigration policy is a form of hate speech. This is why I, I would just say I've always been very against the idea of hate speech in general. Because the moment that you establish a precedent that there's such a thing as speech that is just so distasteful because remember that's not hate speech is not the same thing as as speech that puts somebody in imminent danger right hate speech is not the same as telling an attack dog to go kill someone that well that's just murder right but that's you can't say well i just use words no of course not you know hate speech is is not uh prevent or rather not what you would use as the prosecutorial tool for a, a mafia boss who calls someone on the phone and says, you know, take care of that thing with that guy. You don't get to say, well, I just said to take care of a thing. No, if, if that means an assassination and that's what you just ordered, well, then you're, you've ordered a murder and you should be punished accordingly. Hate speech is, I don't like the thing that you said. It's really mean and degrading. Therefore, I'm going to use the law to prevent you from saying it or to punish you after you've said it. And this is a precedent that the left was, it was inevitable that they were going to abuse this. And they've been abusing it for years. But now it's gone even beyond just protecting favorite groups to now hate speech is a, a categorization that the left is using in order to protect favored policies, you see. So now it's if you criticize immigration, you are engaging in hate speech. Uh, which is interesting because baked into that premise is the idea that immigrants and immigrant flows are going to be non-white. So I, I suppose they would consider it hate speech even if, let's say, you had a lot of refugees from a possible war in Ukraine, which I will tell you is increasingly looking likely with Russia, or at least has been looking very likely the last few days, if you had a, a refugee inflow from Ukraine because of a terrible war with Russia, heaven forbid any of this happens, uh, I, I guess that would still be considered hate speech if you're criticizing it because they've established this principle. And, and then you just say, well, hold on a second. Are, are immigrants a protected category now on the left? And the answer is yes. Immigrants have become migrants. Refugees are a special and protected category. There are additional laws that are in place specifically because they want to make sure that you uh, 
uh, not just treat immigrants a certain way. We're not talking about conduct that you speak about them a certain way. And, and this is why you've had this rise of, yes, nationalism in Europe and, and also here in America, because the elites in our societies have by and large decided that immigration is not something that the people in a country are allowed to have a say over, that the elites know better than us on this issue, and they don't understand that there is, in fact, a, a social cost to all of this, a political cost to this, and that ultimately a, a nation state is, is just an idea. Yeah, there's enforcement and there's there's a military and there's police and there are the, there's the apparatus of the state, but it really is just a concept. And the concept falls apart when you have uh, people who are able to become a part of that state without respecting its laws from the get-go. And also when you are overwhelming the processes of assimilation. You know, we've seen this many times throughout history where if you have a large enough, a large enough group of people who have a, a culture, an identity, and particularly a language that is distinct from the overall culture and language, you often have separatist movements. And yes, violence breaks out. This, this is the case throughout history. You know, unless you have common bonds among people of culture and language and and rule of law and an understanding of what that means, a country will eventually dissolve. This is what the history shows us. I mean, the left thinks about this like it's, oh, it's just so funny. They, they think of states as being static. You know, once a state is established, then or, or maybe they don't. I mean, some of you are probably yelling right now wherever you're listening to the show saying, no, Buck, they know it's going to dissolve the state. And that. I think is also true in many cases. This is a very effective way, not just of transforming America, but really dissolving America into something else. Uh, it becomes something different over time. And uh, you, you look at the history of Europe. We think of Europe now as some kind of uh, a monolith. First of all, Europe is not even a true political union. It's an economic union. Uh, and it's and it's a geographic designation. I mean, Europe is geography. Europe is not really a cohesive political identity, although we tend to talk about it and many people think about it that way. But go back 100 years and Europe was, you know, states were being dissolved. States were being, you know, consumed by other states. States were falling apart. You know, there's all kinds of coming and going. And by the way, one of the reasons that was happening, one of the main reasons that you had these states at each other's throats. It wasn't just fighting over resources. It wasn't just fighting over boundaries in an arbitrary fashion. It was the conflicts of cultures within the European geographic designation. And the, the, you know, the, the French fighting against the Germans and all of these different Eastern European factions and the, the Brits fighting against the Germans and the Italians fighting against the this and the that and the Spanish fighting against each other. You know, the, the idea of, of nation states, of post- Soviet stability is very new. And we have this idea that the, the, the left, I, th I think that there's the good faith open borders, or at least well-intentioned, that's a better way to put it. There's the well-intentioned open borders crowd, and then there's the Soros burn it all down open, border, open borders crowd. Um, and, and on the well-intentioned side of it, I don't believe that they have enough of a knowledge of history to understand that States that 
don't have a uh, the, the ability to to propagate themselves I and mean, people think of propaganda but i mean to to continue with what they are uh, to perpetuate the ideas of the state they eventually come to a halt because we we've never really had in this country a a uh, an ethnic uh, cohesiveness that that has never existed in america we've never been you know a, a slavic people uh, we've never been a, you know, go down this. We've never been a, a, a people that were tied to one ethnicity, one identity that way. We've always been an, an idea. And increasingly, we're bringing in people in such large numbers that, you know, maybe they don't adopt that idea. And you can live in America now and, and probably never speak English and speak any one of a couple of hundred different languages and get around just fine. And you don't have to buy into any of the stuff that makes us America necessarily. You can just, you know, just do your own thing and get the benefits from the state that you can and view this essentially as an economic. And that's what's happening for a lot of migrants who are coming here. And this is what Europe has figured out the hard way, too, because they're coming in such large numbers with such frequency, being told that they are owed this, being told that that America because of its imperialism and uh, because it is the inheritor of uh, Great Britain's colonial past and, and colonial sins, that, that America owes all of this to its immigrant population, that any anyone who can come here, I'm talking illegal immigrants, anyone who comes here and just shows up can demand the resources of the state, which means your resources, my resources, uh, because there's some kind of moral obligation that we have to fulfill to them now. That that is not conducive to a, a process of of cultural and political assimilation that will allow us to continue to live together in relative peace and and tremendous prosperity in this country. It's just there's not that much that's holding us all together if we keep allowing this to happen. Not only do you have the polarization between left and right occurring, I mean, we have tens of millions of people in this country who have very you know limited certainly legal ties to it in the sense that they're here illegally um, but also you start to wonder well, what kind of real love for this country do they have and and how much do they buy into constitutionalism limited government respect for the rule of law the founding fathers when they're constantly being told the founding fathers were uh, were racist that america is forever and unalterably scarred and irre and uh, irredeemable because of its history of slavery. And this is what a lot of, if, if you're a new arrival into America, this is what the left is telling you. And they don't even want this discussion to happen. And that's why in Europe, and increasingly you're seeing it with the way that the media covered the caravan here, they want to make criticism of immigration a hate crime. That's the goal. They want to shut down the conversation because ultimately, if people knew what was going on, they would agree much more with you and me on this than with the Democrats and with the left. You might think there are some areas of culture that would not be subject to liberal whims and the destruction of things that we could all celebrate, right? You might think that I don't know, Christmas movies, for example, are beyond the left's ever pathetic grasp. But you'd be wrong. That's right. The HuffPost has a problem with 
the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie. It's kind of a live-action movie from a long time ago. Remember this one? Rudolph? Rudolph? Well, what do you want? You, you promised to walk me home. Aren't you going to laugh at my nose, too? I think it's a handsome nose. Much better than that silly false one you were wearing. It's terrible. It's different from everybody else's. But that's what makes it so grand. Why, any doe would consider herself lucky to be with you. <laughs> where, where'd they come up with this kind of, aren't you going to laugh at my nose, too? <laughs> like, Rudolph sounds kind of weird. You know, it's my nose is not the best nose, but uh, where'd they come up with this? Uh, Rudolph sounds like a, a curmudgeonly 75-year-old to me. Gosh, I just wish I had a better nose than the little red nose I've got. And I also like that the, the female deer, the doe, whatever her name is, she's like, oh, Rudolph, it is just grand. Is, is, is Rudolph, you know, all of a sudden being invited to finishing school here? It's, it seems kind of strange. But, you know, you're like, Buck, why, why are we talking about Rudolph other than obviously, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Christmas time? Well, the holiday TV classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, according to the Huffington Post, is, quote, seriously problematic because Rudolph has been marginalized. That's right. They think that Rudolph goes to, uh, you know, the, the core of American society now and power imbalances because they're saying that the tale is not as jolly as some thought before. Um, they're sharing their observations now about this online, according to HuffPost. Uh, for example, somebody wrote that the yearly reminder that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a parable on racism and homophobia with Santa as, an, as a bigoted, exploitative jerk. Uh, I didn't know anyone thought of Santa that way. Another one wrote in to say Santa's operation is an HR nightmare and in serious need of diversity and inclusion training. Uh, I'm not making I'm not making this up, by the way. Former Rudolph fans are pointing out Rudolph's father verbally abuses him, which I did not know that was a thing that happened either. And, uh, you know, they're this is I think that the dad tells him that he has to put a fake nose on so he can fit in with the other reindeers. And Rudolph says it's not very common. I can't believe we've been talking about this on radio. Santa Claus berates uh, Donner, the reindeer, for his son nose, uh, son's nose. And uh, the school coach encourages bullying in the Rudolph movie. And, and they go on. They do this whole analysis of it all. Um, and th then they, they say that there's, uh, what is this? If you don't fit in, you know, don't be a jerk. Speaking of Rudolph, yearly reminder, deviation from the norm will be punished unless it is exploited. That's right. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, according to some people on the left, it seems, is a, a parable about the exploitation of modern society. Yeah, man, it's like the Rudolph has like this red nose, like a light. But like, why can't his nose just, you know, like... Be bright and whatnot for Santa's sleigh, man. Like, he doesn't have to, you know what I mean? I guess I do know what you mean. Yeah, Rudolph, Rudolph is not something we can all just celebrate in peace anymore. They do this with everything, though. With every show now, they go back and they apply their wokeness, right? Woke means socially justice aware or social justice aware. Uh, they apply their wokeness to the issue and we're all supposed to just fall in line right away and be like, oh my gosh, 
I don't want to get in trouble with the woke police. This is all also just to say that the best, I mean, you know, I know it's a little early maybe for this talk, but since I brought up what the best Christmas movie of all time as a movie is Die Hard. You know, you can yell at me, say, Buck, Die Hard is an action movie. And I would say, yes, that's fine. Uh, And probably if you're a purist, you would say A Wonderful Life. Although some of you are going to come at me with A Christmas Story, which is also a good movie. As long as you don't say Love Actually, we can still be friends. Love Actually is an annoying movie. And I know so many women in my life have loved that movie. And I don't know what to say to them about it. It is just simply unacceptable uh there should also be better thanksgiving movies you know when you think about a great thanksgiving movie there are probably some that are set during thanksgiving but there's nothing really that that hits it i thought elf with uh, will ferrell was actually was actually pretty good you know what i've never seen the nightmare before christmas i, I don't know if that's really my jam or not miracle on 34th street is obviously a great one yeah, which is be- oh, which is better? I can get I can get you mu- uh, you movie purists, you know, going after each other on this one. I bet better movie Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street or It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, you can tear each other apart with that one. And you know what's also a great Christmas movie for what it is? Home Alone. You know, yes, I know Macaulay Culkin. Now we all think of him as like the twenty five year old who had kind of a a patchy beard and ten million dollars in the bank and maybe a uh, some some bad habits, but or not twenty five year old, fifteen year old. Uh, but you know he's it's a pretty good movie actually. I mean Home Alone really really holds up over over time. So the the Rudolph movie is not one that I could put at the very top of the list. But I don't think that Rudolph is a parable about exploitation because it's about imaginary animals and it's for kids. One of the areas that conservatives need the most work on is the fight over language. First of all, understanding why it's important not to concede terms to the other side that are used specifically because it makes it harder to have an honest discussion about something. And in the area of the gender rights struggle, uh, particularly transgender rights, this is something that everyone needs to pay much more attention to than they generally do. And I also enjoy listening to British people fight because I do, and say, oh, oh, how, how dare you, sir? Oh, oh, what are you doing? What are you saying? Oh, excuse me, sir. Who, what, what? Uh, this was on a, on an H, Julia on HB1. I don't know what this is. It's a, it's a radio show in the UK. I didn't even realize they have talk radio there the way we do here, although that, that makes sense now that I say it out loud. Uh, but here's, I want to play this whole clip for you. Here's a discussion about just the usage of the term Cisgender. Now, they had been talking about how in prisons now, there are people who think, or rather the people that are making policy think that in prisons, a transgender female, meaning a a biological male, uh, also known as a male, should be able to be housed with female inmates if they're transgender. And this is obvious safety and other risks. And there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with this. And it's just crazy. Here is how a few... British for people. Oh, hello. Let's have a discussion about transgender rights, shall we? But there is also a broader question here, which is about 
whether we believe it is possible or indeed necessary to have female-only spaces. If you are physically intact as a man, biologically intact, you, you're not in a women's prison. End off. But End also, off. Nothing to discuss. But also, if you are a woman in a woman's prison, you should be safe from being uh, attacked by a cis or a trans woman. So actually, everyone should be safe in so, prison. Can I just so say, you're not allowed to come on my show and say a cis or a trans woman. A woman It just is or the a Latin trans opposite woman. of trans. No, no, no. A, there's a, you don't, you, I'm not a cis woman. Vanessa is not a cis woman. We are women. We are biologically women. I am not going to have that BBC claptrap on my show. I'm just using a bit of, just to differentiate. No, it was no, just I'm, a term. I'm not going to have it. I'm Don't a woman. I'm not bl- a cis woman. Blame I'm a Romans. woman. I was born a woman. 50% of this population are women. We're not cis women. We don't have to adjust what we're called for a tiny minority of, of activists who don't even represent trans so people. So if I said non-trans woman, would that be That would be equal. If you say that, I'm going to ask you to leave my studio. I'm absolutely serious. I'm not having it. I'm not having... I'm not having our language in this country traduced in this way. I'm a woman, you are a man. I'm quite happy for someone to be a trans woman or a trans man, but you don't take away what I am because you choose to change your gender. No, but you get that. I was only using it in that sentence to point out the two groups. No, the two groups are woman and trans woman. You don't take away what I am. That's completely unacceptable. That BBC claptrap. I kind of like this feisty British lady. But I'm not even sure that we should concede that there is something known as a as a trans woman. Uh, I think you might have to say a transgendered individual. But to say a trans woman, it, you, you notice how you end up with this is a kind of woman when in reality there are really just men and women. There is man, there is woman, there is not some other form of those two genders. There, There is nothing else. And no matter how much they try to Uh, emotionally or psychologically blackmail people, no matter how much the progressive left makes noise about this, they are flying in the face of reality. I mean, what what they are saying is just simply, flatly not true. And one of the things that I'm going to try always very hard to accomplish here in the hut is we will not say things that we know to be untrue, even if everyone else is saying them. And this is going to come with consequences. I mean, this is also why when you hear about banning criticism of immigrants, uh, banning talk about Islam, these are all areas where you see debates. People want to shut down debates and and they realize that this is, in most cases, anti-free speech. I mean, some of the some of the left is just so stupid and so ignorant that they don't even know what free speech is. In fact, a lot of the left these days. But many of them, if you were to ask away from the cameras, would say, well, even if we know we're violating the principle of free speech, uh, even if we know we are shutting down debate, it's for a righteous cause, whether it's transgenderism or immigrant rights or whatever the case may be, and therefore the violations of principle are justified. This is one of the root fallacies of the leftists. The ends always justify the means when morality is relative. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. He's a lean, mean analysis machine. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Friday Roll Call is always a little bittersweet because it does mean that the weekend is here, but it means it's the last time I get to talk to you for a couple of days. That's no fun, but I hope you have excellent weekend plans mine will include a little birthday celebration with miss molly and uh, other than that 
probably some Netflix and uh, eating some, some good food and catching up on sleep. I've got a whole bunch of books I'm reading these days, including uh, one on this guy who stole a billion, they don't even know how much, billions of dollars. It's called The Billion Dollar Whale. I got to tell you, it's really, really entertaining. It's a true story. Uh, and it's a recent story, so that's I'll let you know how that one goes. I also have to finish season three of The Last Kingdom. I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred. Very few of you know what I'm talking about with that, but some of you will. And those of you who do understand, Last Kingdom is one of the most underrated shows, I think, uh, on TV these days. All right, your thoughts, not mine. Roll call time. Joe writes... Mark Stein would be an amazing fill-in host for The Hut. Joe, I appreciate that, and Mark is great, but Mark is a Rush fill-in. And Rush is the uh, Rush is the general of the talk radio army, so he gets his pick. And uh, Mark is very happy to fill in for Rush on the EIB, so I don't think we're going to be able to get him here anytime soon. But I do think we got Har- Harlan Hill, Benny Johnson, and Raheem Kassam I'd love to get a lady in the mix on the radio, so I'm thinking about who might that who that might be. I might see if maybe Molly Hemingway over at the Federalist would be interested. She's in high demand these days, but it might be fun if I could get her to carve out the time. Carolyn writes, whereas I would agree everyone is entitled to a legal defense, it would appear more that the Dersh participated in a severe miscarriage of justice that would make any decent person's skin crawl. Just curious about your thoughts, Shields High. Now, Carolyn is referring to the billion dollar uh, or the billionaire pedophile Epstein, and it is it is it is an incredibly disturbing and disgusting story. Miami Herald put it out earlier this week. I, I would recommend it to you if you have not read it. Uh, Epstein was a serial pedophile. I mean, Epstein was having relationships. He's a billionaire. Lived in Palm Beach was having not even relationships. He was engaged in essentially child trafficking, uh, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and he was having you know, I- illegal relations with them on a regular basis. Dozens of them, close to 100, I think, is the total number of victims. He got two years in prison, two years in Palm Beach County Jail, really in a halfway house situation in the Palm Beach County Jail. So... Uh, and it was, in fact, a now Trump appointee, uh, Alexander uh, Acosta, who played a critical role when he was U.S. attorney for that district in, in Florida to give an incredibly uh, or actually, no, he sorry, he was district attorney rather and, and gave an incredibly soft deal to this guy. And a lot of this guy was friends with the Clintons. He's friends with the Trumps. He's. He was a very prominent fellow in incredibly rich circles, and he's a true sexual predator in the worst kind of, uh, in the worst way. And I think that it's important that people understand this story. So I'm not going to get into the full details now. Maybe I will another time. Miami Herald, though, on it's how a, how a future Trump cabinet member gave a, uh, what is it called? Um, gave Jeffrey Epstein the deal of a lifetime. It's it's a remarkable story that came out this week. Definitely, it's troubling. That's tough reading. When you read it, you you it's disturbing. So I, I'm not recommend read the billion dollar whale if you want to enjoy yourself and have some time off. Read this story if you want to take a a tour into the darkest recesses of a corrupted human soul. All right, Roberto writes Shields High Buck. The line you off you use from Office Space. So what would you say you do here? 
Oh, wow, you caught that, Roberto. Also, I can't decide which impression I like better, your Hillary or your Cuomo. Your Cuomo is more accurate, but your Hillary is funny because it captures her crookedness and insincerity. <laughs> Great show as always. Thank you, Roberto. That, I, I completely agree. The Cuomo, the Cuomo is more in line with how he sounds, which is both aggressive and stupid. Um, but, you know, the Hillary one really captures a certain essence of basically Hillary walking around saying, I'm terrible. Uh, so there's that. Sorry, I, I got to keep you awake. It's late in the show. I, you know, I don't know what's going on. You might be, you know, if you're listening to the show driving home or something, I want you to be totally, you know, eyes wide open, hands on the wheel. That's what I'm here for. Safety first. Adam writes, Buck, the process will pull as much carbon out of the air as you can feed it energy. Diamond is, oh, this is more on the diamond thing. Adam, yeah, I got to read about this, man. You're, you're, Adam is the science guy, apparently. I am not. I am not, so I, I have to read. This is about how you make diamonds somehow. Very interesting stuff. Cheryl writes, I love your imitations. I have to say, your best imitations are uh, Christiane Amanpour, number one, uh, the Cuomos, and then Hillary. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, you're not the only... Uh, other, someone told me recently, very, very, someone very close to me said that Christiane Amanpour... With her incredibly arrogant, overwrought accent, was his favorite too. So, because if you really listen to it, you're like, no one actually talks that way. But, Mr. Ambassador, is it in fact the case that you can't have this discussion without speaking in a way that sounds like you're just running out of breath? <sighs> yeah. Christiana Amanpour, it's true. Uh, Tyson writes, the best steaks in the world come from Nebraska, so you are right to promote Omaha Steaks. If you need some help with sauces or any type of cooking, check out Food Wishes on YouTube. Tyson, turns out Food Wishes is what I used for that bourbon pepper sauce, so you are a step ahead, my friend. Tyson, you and I are, man, we are uh, linked uh, psychically. So uh, the, the the bourbon pepper steak sauce was was very good. I just... Somehow it kind of, it separated, I think it was the heat and it separated at the end. It was looking perfect. And then I added a little more cream because I like heavy cream and that messed it all up. And then it separated out and then it burned and I had problems. But next week I'm going to be defrosting, uh, I'm going to be defrosting my, uh, my, uh, I think it's a New York, no, it's a New York stripper filet that I have from Omaha Steaks. Oh, I had Omaha Steaks burgers. Yes, I crushed that. I'm great at burger cooking now. And I'll probably do a steak next week, and I'll sear that one. I'll, I'll probably just do a, an herb butter with that because, you know, it's all you need with a steak. But I'll make a pork chop, and I'll probably do some kind of a maple glaze on that pork chop because, ooh, it's delicioso. Uh, Sandy writes, Buck, it's Thursday, November 29th. I'm listening to your show, and I'm laughing out loud at your Cuomo imitation about being an undocumented Italian immigrant. You're the best. Well, Sandy, thank you. I had fun with that one, too. I really like letting it, letting it rip with the Cuomo impersonation. Uh, I can also tell you that I have it on very good I have it on very good sourcing and authority that Cuomo is not a nice guy. Uh, people have actually referred to him as like the meanest guy in politics who have worked around him. So I, I, I particularly enjoy doing the impersonation then because... 
You know, some of these guys, I like, you know, when, when I give someone like Paul Ryan a little bit of a hard time on radio, Paul Ryan's a nice guy. Everybody who knows him says he's a nice guy. Um, it's a lot easier when the person's actually a, a jerk, you know? So that's why, uh, Christiana Amanpour, not a nice person. So from what I'm told, I don't know her personally, but this is what I'm told by people who know and I trust. So it's fun to make fun of people when you hear that they're actually not very nice. Um, Lisa writes, sauce pans high. For sauce done right, you can't beat Julia Child's mastering the art of French cooking. She's all about the sauces and how to do them right. It's not a fancy picture book, but truly great directions. You'll be a master in no time. Bon appetit, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. I'll check that out. I like to kick it old school. Because you know, when you think about it, I really I can't do breads and I can't do pastas. And so I'm really proteins and veggies is, is my... Is, is a majority of my diet. And so I'm just trying to think of new and interesting ways to make that. And I'm trying to limit my sugar intake. Guys, I, I hate to be the one to say this in case you don't already know it. I'm sure you all do. In the food world, sugar really is unfortunately the enemy. Uh, sugar is where the real problems come from and, and refined carbohydrates that your body effectively breaks down as sugar. That's the bad stuff. All Meat, butter, fat, oil, I've gone through phases where I've just been eating basically eggs, bacon, red meat, and greens and gotten in really good shape and felt really good and had low cholesterol and everything else. It's it's when, you know, I get a little too aggressive with, yeah, I have a chocolate stash. It's true. Right now I've got some Icelandic pink sea salt chocolate in my cupboard. That that bar did not last very long. Sea salt chocolate gets me really excited. I, I, look, I've got weaknesses, okay? I don't drink much. I don't do any drugs. Um, I don't gamble, I, but you know, I, I got my, I need my coffee, black rifle, obviously. And I need my chocolate. Those are two of my weaknesses. I can't, can't really help it. Uh, but yeah, sugar is, is just bad. It's just bad. It's bad for you. I mean, in small doses, it's fine, but it's bad for you. Jeff writes, I met Mark Warner's father. He was a neighbor of mine. He was the most decent people I ever met. I don't know what happened to Mark, a real disappointment. Yeah, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe Mark Warner's a good guy. I don't have much of a much of a background on him, but uh, it's disappointing, you know, disappointing to say he says some things that, you know, it's just not not good, not good, um, not smart stuff from him. Uh, here we go, Buck. Please don't admit in public you haven't seen the Western Once Upon a Time in a West. This is from Chris, but not heard of it. That man card is about to be pulled. It's been argued by some to be the greatest Western ever. You know, Chris, man, you sound like a great American, but I just got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not somebody who is up on Westerns. I just don't, I know this is where, there's some parts about me, and you guys all know this, you're listening to me across the country. I, I am born and raised in America, obviously, and I love this country, I love the founding, and I'm all about patriotism and all kinds of stuff, but, you know, I, there's, I don't like baseball, for example. I'm just going to say it, I don't really like baseball. And I don't really watch Westerns. So I don't know how American I really am sometimes. I'm some sort of uh, hybrid or something. So, all right, team, that's going to be it for this Freestyle Friday. Thank you so much for hanging out. It is an honor. Please, if you get a chance, you're talking to somebody about podcasts, be like, hey, check out the Buck Sexton Show. It really does spread the word. It helps so much. We need our audience to keep growing so we can keep this Freedom Hunt rocking. I will talk to you all Monday. Shields high. 
Just think about how many times you're going to be doing some shopping for family members this holiday. Think about all the times you're going to use credit card information. You're going to be sending sensitive stuff back and forth on your computer. You're probably going to be traveling a little bit too. And that means you might be using public Wi-Fi. That means that you're putting all of your information at risk. Yes, from hackers, but also from these different sites that track your information and sell it. And then that's how you get these harassing emails and phone calls. Protect yourself online with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use applications that will run the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. Once you turn on ExpressVPN protection, you are secure. It anonymizes your internet browsing and encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. Okay, so protect your online activity today like I do and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash buck. 